Good morning. I'm going to be wrapping up our series called No Other Gods. We did this series because we want to help you understand the chaos that's going on in America today, biblically. We want you to know what's causing it and how to respond in faith as Christians. We began with Exodus chapter 20. After the Lord rescued his people out of the slavery, bondage, darkness, and chaos of Egypt and brought them into a new life of abundant living. He said to them at Sinai, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is at the heart of our problems today. Our problems today aren't economic or political or social. They are spiritual. We worship other gods. We believe false prophets and priests. We are turning away from the Lord in fear and folly. And these gods lie, enslave, kill, and destroy. But if we'll worship the Lord Jesus and only him, he will set us free. And so in this series, we looked at several things. The first week, we looked at the worshiping man. That it's not whether, but which. It's not whether you'll worship God, but which God it will be. Because there is no neutrality. That is a myth. Either man will bow and serve the Lord Jesus Christ, or he will bow and serve other gods. In week two, we saw the rival gods that were being tempted to follow. Selfie and the beast. Worshipping ourselves and our lusts and our passions, or worshipping an all-powerful state that makes promises like God. But both of these false gods only bring chaos, and only Jesus Christ can create order and peace and life for those who will follow him in faith. We saw that with new gods come new prophets and priests and new kings who claim to be the anointed, to teach us the truth and the way, what's right and wrong. They claim to be experts and that we should follow and trust them, that they can heal the divisions in our society, that they can protect us, that they can provide for us, that they can create a kingdom of heaven on earth if we'll only bow and serve them and their gods. We saw in the fourth week that with new prophets and priests comes new orthodoxies, new rules, new laws, new religions. And these things are being jammed down our throats, but they are false. They are foolish. They're built on man's wisdom, and they only lead to ruin. We compared the new orthodoxies to what God's word says and saw how much wiser and truer and better it is to serve the Lord Jesus and obey his laws. Last week, we saw the centrality of the family, how it makes us strong. It helps us to resist the pressures of our culture, to resist selfie worship and beast worship as we honor our father and mother, as we care for one another, as we build strong bonds in our households. It's one of the primary ways God makes us capable of walking with him and resisting a dark and chaotic culture that we're living in today. This week, we're going to be wrapping up our series with a sermon titled, Christ or Chaos. You see, that is our choice. At the end of the matter, as we considered all these things, we see our choice is Christ or chaos, up or down, backwards or forwards. The Lord Jesus tells us that the truth that he gives us, the truth, will set us free. And he's proven from 2,000 years of Western history that that's exactly what he will do if we will trust him. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He says, the thief, the devil, all these false gods, they come only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What the Lord is promising is that if we have no other gods before the Lord Jesus, he 
will give us more and more wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. He will give us more and more freedom. He won't steal from us. He won't give us lives full of lack. He won't kill us, but create in us new life. And as we trust him with our lives and our homes and our churches and our communities and our nation, he will grow abundance as we walk in faith with him. And that is exactly what he has been doing for 2,000 years. During World War II, on a remote island in the Pacific, there was an American soldier who met a native who could read and who was carrying his Bible. Now, upon seeing this Bible, this soldier said, we educated people in the West no longer put much faith in that book. But the native said something interesting. See, he came from a tribe full of cannibals. They were cannibals, that is, until Christ came. And so the native replied to this arrogant Western man, well, it's good that we do take the Bible seriously, or you would be eaten by my people today. You see, Christ doesn't just change you. He doesn't just change your family, but he changes your whole society as you walk in faith with him. And it's not just this one island in the middle of the Pacific. As Christ came and saved island after island across the Pacific, he transformed their culture. Listen to the testimony of a man who was on a voyage to Tahiti in the middle of the 1800s. Listen to the way that Christ changed that island people. His testimony of what he saw. This man said, on the whole, it appears to me that the morality and religion of the inhabitants are highly creditable. There are many who attack the Christian missionaries, their system, and the effects produced by Christianity. Such reasoners never compared the present state of the inhabitants with that of the island only 20 years ago. But they compare it with the high standard of gospel perfection. Inasmuch as the condition of the people falls short of this high standard, blame is attached to the missionary instead of credit for that which Christianity has affected. They forget, or they will not remember, that human sacrifices and the power of an idolatrous priesthood, a system of profligacy unparalleled in any other part of the world, infanticide, a consequence of that system, bloody wars where the conquerors spared neither women nor children, that all of these have been abolished and that dishonesty and temperance and licentiousness have been greatly reduced by the introduction of Christianity. For any voyager to forget these Things is base ingratitude. For if he should be held shipwrecked on some unknown coast, he will most devoutly pray that the lessons of the Christian missionaries have been extended and gone thus far. Who said this? Who gave this testimony of the transforming power that Christ made to every, society, every part of culture? Charles Darwin, famous for writing The Origin of the Species. This is his testimony of the difference he saw Christ make in the island of Tahiti. If we could see all the ways that Christ has conquered the chaos of the pre-Christian world and the fruit that we've inherited from our Christian heritage, well, we would see that God is faithful and that he has fulfilled his promises, the changes he's brought, the abundances that he's given. We'd see that his promises are true. But most of us have learned a myth about our past, cutting us off from our Christian heritage. This is the myth of the Dark Ages. The story goes that Greece and Rome were so wonderful And they represented the high point of ancient civilization, especially since their gods had no moral commands, and that meant that anybody could do what they wanted. This beautiful, just, and good, classical world was then destroyed by barbaric Christians who plunged the world into the Dark Ages. Fortunately, a thousand years later, out of the blue, some really enlightened men brought about a secular, godless revival. 
that they called the Renaissance. And without God or anything, just because they were really smart and non-religious, then they went back to Greece and Rome, to the classics, and they brought back knowledge, and they brought back science and free markets and democracy. Three cheers for autonomous man. That Christian time that we call the Dark Ages, it was so lame. We should definitely never, ever, ever even think about living out our Christian faith in every area of life again. Now, as you can probably get from my sarcasm, everything I just said is a myth. It's a lie. It's a psyop. Here's the truth. Before Christ came to the West, it was a mess. Before Christ came and saved Europe, people worshipped nature. Gods were without morality. They sacrificed their children in the fire. There was tribal war and violence. After Christians came, after Christ extended his kingdom, there was peace between tribes. These tribes became nations. Young and old and rich and poor worshipped the one true God together. Before Christ came to the West, great men were destructive men, violent, oppressive men. But after Christ came and civilized the West, men served society with their strength. They fulfilled their duties before God and civilization was built. Before Christ came, to the pagan people of the continental uh, Europe, to the island nation of England. Before Christ came, living was hard, food and shelter was scarce, and you lived in fear of both nature and invasions. But after Christ came, the standard of living rose, nature was tamed, and the rule of law protected the rights of the weakest citizens, and this was commonplace across the continent. The world without Christ was a world that was ruled by chaos. And what he did in Europe, after the fall of Rome, across the continent of Europe, whoa, he slayed Leviathan. Christ conquered the gods of chaos. Now in the Bible, Leviathan is the name of a sea monster, a sea serpent, some great and terrible creature, created by God, good, but after the fall, became a symbol of chaos, disorder, of tearing down civilization, everything that was bad and uncontrollable. And in the book of Isaiah, He tells a story of how the Lord slays Leviathan. How he comes down and he conquers chaos. And this, of course, is a prophecy or a foreshadowing of what Christ will do when he comes into this world. He will create order out of chaos. He will set us free. He will give us life abundantly as he promised. He is the one, the only one, who can slay Leviathan. Jesus Christ is the only one who can conquer the gods of chaos in our day. And I know this because he did it before. He did it before in those so-called dark ages after the fall of Rome. And I'd like to survey some of the changes that Christ has made in our world. Some of the things that we value and love and idealize that actually come from him. They're fruit, but he is the root. And without him, the fruit is gone. And that's what the chaos is we're seeing in our world today. When Christ came to Europe, he transformed our mores, our sense of morality, customs, norms, behaviors, what we think is socially acceptable. Before Christ came, infanticide, child abandonment, abortion, human sacrifice, suicide, these were commonplace. These were normative practices. Nobody had a problem with it. The barbarian world after Rome fell was filled with death. Children were worthless. They were routinely murdered for being sick or being female or being deformed. They were left out into the wild for exposure, to be killed by beasts or by nature. They were sacrificed to these gods. The old and the invalid were also worthless, oftentimes killed or left to die on their own. Suicide was celebrated. Cruelty, malice, and wickedness was commonplace. But after Christ came to the West, 
through his church, through his body on earth, as the church expanded, as Christianity expanded, and as the gospel was proclaimed, and people repented of their sins, and they turned to Christ, and he gave them a new heart, and they learned to love and obey his commandments, it all began to change. After Christ came to the West, we have human rights, the protection of children, the abolition of abortion. There were orphanages, hospitals, mercy, compassion, protection of the weak. These things were all highly valued. Why? Because of Christ's teaching. You see, he teaches us that man is made in God's image. And therefore, every human being, from the womb to the, to the tomb, has intrinsic human value and dignity. That we cannot discard people like they're worthless. Not if you worship Jesus. If you worship Jesus, you do not murder You don't kill babies, you don't kill women, you don't kill slaves, you don't kill anybody. You do not commit murder. If you worship Jesus, then you show great love and care to children because he warned that if you cause a child to stumble, if you keep a child from coming to him, if you sin against a child, it would be better for you to tie a stone around your neck and throw yourself in the ocean. That's how valuable children are to the Lord Jesus. And as his heart and his loves and his values spread through Western civilization, these values became our values. Today we value compassion and mercy, human rights, dignity of individuals. These are all values that did not exist before Christ. They are from our Christian heritage. What about sexual morality? Before Christ, adultery, fornication, prostitution, homosexuality was all regularly practiced and acceptable. Marriage was deprived of all moral character. Sexual purity was almost unknown. Women were essentially slaves to man's passion. Pagan gods had no moral commands, and they could not be appealed to if you were weak and helpless. Families were broken. Women were property. Children were fatherless, and men were beasts. They were violent, irresponsible, and destructive, generation after generation. But when Christ came to the West through the church, he changed all that. After the spread of Christianity across the European continent and in the islands of England and Scotland, In Ireland, women were protected, families were formed, children were loved, protected, and discipled. There were self-governing townships, productivity grew, people were living in peace with one another, there was purity, laws protecting children, marriage was honored, and men were civilized and made to be productive for the good of their family and their communities. How did this happen? As people learned to walk in obedient faith to Christ as they had no other God before him and they walked in obedient faith and taught it to their children over generations, over centuries, everything began to change. You see, the Lord Jesus, he values marriage. He values the family. He teaches us to be pure. He says, do not commit adultery. If you worship him, you do not look to lust at a girl. He teaches you to put to death the passions of your flesh. The Lord Jesus teaches you to worship him by honoring the marriage bed and not separating what God has brought together. These are some of the teachings that come from Christ and they transformed the sexual morality of that pagan world. The values that we have today of marriage and family and purity and protecting children from sexual predation, these all came from Christ through the church. These did not come from the Enlightenment. They didn't come from Rome. These were unknown in our world before Christ grew them. And we've benefited, we've inherited the blessings that come from walking according to God's law. What about charity? That word comes from the word in Greek that means grace. Was there grace? Was there charity? Was there generosity in the pagan world before Christ? No. In the Western world before Christ, it was a world without charity, without grace. There was tribalism, racism, favoritism. I would do for you if you would do back for me. 
But if you were powerless, you'd be enslaved. If you were powerless, you were despised, abandoned, or abused. If you were weak, dying, or deformed, it didn't matter that you were an image bearer of God. Nobody cared. There was no hospitality, and therefore there was no hospitals. There was weak medicine. There was injustice, impression, predation was celebrated. It's amazing that the Romans and the Greeks, they could build aqueducts and they could build huge temples, but they couldn't build hospitals. Why? Because grace, charity, it was not a value to them. But it, after Christianity came to the West, what do we see? We saw across the European continent, orphans and widows being cared for, adopted, Total strangers' children left to die on the street. Christians would take and adopt into their families. Orphanages were built for unwanted children. I was adopted when I was two years old because of the Christian morality that still promulgated and, and, and still existed in our society. Hospitals were built for the sick, for the dying, for lepers, for the elderly, for the mentally insane. This was going on in the 3rd century A.D. from the Christians. Charities were created for the poor. Medicine to heal the sick. The quality and length of life increased. There was rehabilitation and redemption for even the lowest people. Why? Because that's what Christ did for us. Jesus Christ poured out his grace for us. He loved us. He, He died for us. He gave himself for us. Despite our sins, he valued us. And because God values the lowest and the least his people did too jesus said as you did it for one of the least of these my brethren you did it for me and so when people served the unfortunate and those who were poor and sick and vulnerable they saw it as an act of worship to the one true god jesus christ this transformed the morality of pagan europe and with it our world today When we say that we value charity today, when we see the Red Cross or hospitals or medicine or adoption or the sanctity of life, these things are all from our Christian heritage. In education, there was ignorance across Europe. They worshipped trees and practiced magic. There was myth and superstition, illiteracy. They feared nature. They were easily fooled and manipulated and controlled. But after Christ, literacy skyrocketed. Through the body of Christ, the church built schools as early as the 150 A.D. Monasteries built universities. Public, universal, tax-supported education was created by Christians in Germany after the Reformation. Schools for orphans, for the deaf, for blind. These were all created by Christ through his church. And in America, the Ivy League colleges, Harvard, Dartmouth, all of the original Ivy League schools were created by the church to train clergy and leaders to be virtuous men, wise men who feared God and would lead well. The value of universal learning and reading and knowledge that we have in our culture today, that is something that came to us from Christ. Because he teaches us that we should know and read the Bible. The Great Commission says to go into all the world and teach everyone to obey everything he's commanded. And that means they have to be educated. Everyone should be able to read the word of God so they can learn how to walk in faithful obedience to him. God is no respecter of persons. All must individually repent and receive salvation. And so that means men and women, young and old, rich and poor, must all learn so that they can read God's word and grow in faith. This value of reading and education, that grew out of the church and it spread across Europe and it spread across the world. But make no mistake, it is a piece of fruit that grew in the West, and Christ was the root. We see the growth of science. Before Christ came to the West, there was no science. There was paganism and pantheism. They worshipped the creation. They worshipped the cosmos. They thought it was dangerous and chaotic. 
There was little technology and most of it was used for war. But the Christian church grew scientific inquiry and breakthrough all across Europe from the 5th century A.D. all the way into the 19th century A.D. There was an explosion of exploration, astronomy, mathematics, map making, biology, anatomy, chemistry, physics, the scientific method, testing, debate, growing in education and expertise. These were things that were highly valued amongst the Christian peoples in the West. You had scientists like Kepler and Boyle and Newton and Galileo. They studied God's world because they wanted to learn the wisdom of God. And why did they do this? Because the Lord Jesus taught us that this is not a world full of gods that control the sun, moon, and stars, but that it's a created cosmos, that it's designed, that it's uniform and orderly and knowable, that we as his image bearers who have been entrusted to fill and subdue the earth should study the creation so that we can better master our world. We learn to look for the laws that the lawgiver wrote into nature. And we saw the pursuit of scientific knowledge as an expression of worship and honor to God. God is rational and faithful. And therefore, rational human beings can study his creation and learn his laws and use them to better their lives. The abundant life that Christ promises, the truth that would set us free that Christ promises as we walk in faith with him, is growing in the West as people walk in faith to Christ. And we saw economic freedom. Before Christ came to the West, labor was demeaning. Only the poor and slaves did it. There was no payment back for people's labor. It was not just compensation. They got paid just enough to live and to continue to work. There was no middle class. There was the rich and the poor. There were shortages, famine, starvation. There was no property rights or due process. There was no free markets or copyrights or banking or credit. Poverty was normative. And life was short and grinding. But after Christ, what do we have? In the West, we have free markets, private property, stable banking systems, stable currency, the innovations that grew, surpluses, capitalism, a middle class. You begin to see skilled labor and an increased standard of living. Why? These things grew out of a people that worship Jesus because he teaches them to be frugal and thrifty. Christ teaches a Christian work ethic that we're to work hard with our hands so that we can share with other people. As we applied the Lord Jesus' teachings to the area of work, we worked as hard as we could, we made as much as we could, we saved as much as we could, we gave as much as we could, and we lived on the rest. You see the growth of free markets. You see the growth of better and more stable trade. And these things are growing in the West for the first time in the history of the human race, and the reason why is because of the teachings of Christ. You see, he says do not steal, do not covet. He says that a worker has a right to his wages. He came as a carpenter and did a blue-collar job. Labor is honorable and dignified. The Lord teaches us that we all have a vocation, a calling, that all of our work, if it's done lawfully and done well, is honorable and part of God's way of providing for everyone. The Lord taught us the dignity of work, and that created a middle class in the West, a large group of people who were independent of dependence on the government or dependence on other people who could work and produce and keep the fruit of their labor. This, these things that we love in the West, these are all fruit from our Christian heritage. They all come from the teachings and obedient faith to Jesus Christ. And that leaves liberty and justice. Before Christ, there was no human rights. There was tyrannical, unlimited kings, chiefs and lords. 
due process and limited government, elections, separation between church and state, minority rights, freedom of speech, these things did not exist. They did not exist. But after Christ, you have things like the Magna Carta, limiting the state, protecting rights by law. You have bills of rights in England and the United States. You have constitutional republicanism. You have monarchies that are limit, limited in their power. You have trial by jury, the abolition of slavery, religious toleration, individual liberty. These things that we hold so dearly in the West, these are all fruit and come from our Christian heritage. Because it was first Jesus who said to the, to the Pharisees, Give to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God's what is God's. Limiting the power of the state. Separating the power of the state. The state doesn't have authority over all things. The state has a narrow scope. It was Jesus who taught in the scriptures through his apostles that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, in the church, in the body of Christ, There's no up and down. There's no higher and lower. We're all saved by grace. We're all equal in receiving the salvation of God. We're brothers and sisters. We're not better or worse than one another in the eyes of God. And therefore, that universal equality before God, that's spread out into political and economic and social equality in the cultures that worshipped Christ. We see in the scriptures that God defines rights and justice. That God's law became authoritative, not just in the homes and in the churches and the communities, but eventually over the kings. You have people like Samuel Rutherford writing Lex Rex, saying that the king himself is under the law. And that became the normative law of the land across Europe. That led to freedom, prosperity. You begin to have limited government, bills of rights, and all sorts of freedoms that the world had never seen. And these two were fruit that grew from the root of worshiping Christ. To quote from Gladiator, The non-Christian world was cold, brutal, and dark. Christ was the light. Christ didn't create the dark ages. Man's idolatry did that. Christ is the light of the world. Whoever follows him will never walk in darkness. If Christ had not spread his kingdom to Europe, this world would still be in the dark ages. And as Europe and America is rejecting Christ now, we are plunging ourselves back into the darkness and back into the chaos. How did Christ do it the first time? By the power of his Holy Spirit. He worked through the preaching and the teaching of his word, through the church, and as faithful men and faithful women lived obediently, and living and spreading his teaching like yeast in every part of the dough, in every part of the culture, over the generations, Christ set them free. He gave them abundant life. He is the one who grew all these good things that we just spent the last 10 minutes talking about. These things that we value and we love and we cherish, these are inheritances that come to us from our Christian past. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he came to save us, to slay Leviathan and all the false gods that produce chaos and death in this world. So when we look at the chaos in our nation today, We need to know that Jesus Christ did it before, and he can do it again. So what do we do? We have three options. As we look at the chaos in our world today, it's Christ or chaos, and there's three ways to respond. We can respond with the Bonaparte option, we can respond with the Benedict option, and we can respond with the Boniface option. The Bonaparte option is to put our faith in princes, 
to look to some powerful strongman, some American Caesar, some big guy who will come in and impose order and save us all. This is what Napoleon did after the French Revolution. And they lost their liberty. We have people in our country today that say we should make America great again and hope and change. But whether it's Obama or Trump, neither of them are calling us to repent of our sin and our idolatry. Neither are calling our nation to turn back to God. What they're saying is, is we should go back to the times of fruit, but they're rejecting the root. We don't worship Bonaparte. We don't turn to strongmen. We're not looking to princes to save us. We're not looking for top-down imposition of order. That's not how the kingdom of God grows. How does it grow? How does culture get redeemed? How do civilizations get built? How did he do it the first time? The Benedict option and the Boniface option. We need to do both. The Benedict option. It's named after uh, a guy named St. Benedict. He was a, a monk who started the monastic movements across Europe. He lived in the time of Rome when it was very decadent and wicked. He saw the evil and he decided that he was going to remove himself from this collapsing uh, evil society. Rome was falling apart and he would see Rome fall apart in his lifetime. And so instead he wanted to build a Christian colony, a Christian community that could withstand the chaotic culture that they were in. He wanted to create a little kingdom of light in the middle of the darkness. And so he created a monastery and they did a whole bunch of other things to pass on and promote the Christian faith. And the monastic movement was a really big part of how the church grew in the times after the Roman Empire fell. The key things for us to understand about this Benedict option is that we have to build strong kingdom communities here at Church in the Valley and other churches that we plant. We need to make sure that our marriages and our families are strong. That we're not marrying and familying like the world, but that we're doing it according to God's law. Strengthening our marriages and our families is going to make our community strong and able to resist the idolatry of our culture. We need to make sure that we're educating our children Christianly. Because the enemies of Christ today, they don't really have kids. Selfie worshipers and worshipers, uh, worshipers of the state, they're not fruitful. They don't have big families. What they do is they steal your children. And they do that primarily through the educational system. I mean, ask yourself, why are so many children, so many Christians that grow up in Christian homes, turning away from Christ and deconstructing their faith when they become adults? Why are there so many Christians that claim to be followers of Christ, but they live and think like the world? The answer is, is because of their education. Education was a tool to demoralize and re-socialize and indoctrinate these kids to chase after other gods. And so we have to make sure that we are teaching our children to know and love and glorify Christ in every area of life, in every academic subject. We also need to build strong fellowships and relationships between brothers and sisters in Christ. Because the stronger our bonds of loyalty and love are between us here at Church in the Valley and other churches in our network the more we're able to help and support one another and resist powerful outside chaotic forces. We need to build strong businesses because when you provide a business, when you own your own business, you are independent. You have protection. You don't have to do a bunch of crazy policies and force your employees to get jabbed or mask up. You can actually provide a good or service to your fellow man and God can bless that business. You can hire Christians to work with you and for you so that they can be protected by your independence. This is something that they did during the times that Boniface was alive, and it was a very effective approach. And we also need to build spaces for men and women to recreate and form relationships and fellowships, associations and clubs and rotaries and all these different things that bring people together around common causes and common interests. This builds fellowship and relationships that makes our church strong. 
As we do this and we get stronger and stronger and we're able to stand independently of the outside culture, it helps us resist the idolatry and the chaos going on around us. This is the Benedict option. But there's a temptation, and the temptation is to pull yourself back from society and to kind of be off in your holy huddle and just worry about yourself and your church, and the culture continues to decline. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to be salt and light. We're called to go into this world and rescue people and bring them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And this is the Benedict option. I'm sorry, the Boniface option. St. Boniface was another monastic priest, and he went back to Germany where he was from. From England, he went back to Germany to rescue those people from their pagan idolatry. They were worshiping Thor and Odin. They were worshiping false gods. It was just destroying their culture, and he wanted to save them. He wanted to lead them to Christ. So he goes back to Germany, and when he gets there, he sees these oak groves where they worship their gods. And at the center of this oak grove is Thor's oak, this massive oak tree. And this is Idrisil. This is the tree that holds up the world. And in their cosmology, in their religion, this tree holds up the entire cosmos. And the gods, they live up above the trees. And you have to be very respectful when you go by Thor's oak. And so they sacrifice their children, and they do these other immoral things, all to please their gods. And Boniface shows up, he's like, this is, this is crazy. This is not a true god. This is an idol. There is only one true god, Jesus Christ. Stop worshiping this idol. And they say, ah, your god's not god. Thor is god. He says, I'll prove it to you. Tomorrow I'm going to come back with an axe. I'm going to cut down Thor's tree. I'm going to do it in front of all of you. And if Thor is really a god, then he'll strike me dead with lightning. And so the next day he comes back. Hundreds of pagans are around the tree. They're watching to see what will happen. And he starts hacking away at that tree. And several hours later, the entire thing comes crashing down right in front of them. They can't believe it. Thor didn't do anything. Maybe Thor is not a god. And then he chops the tree up into pieces of wood and he gives it to these people to burn in their fireplaces to provide warmth for their family. And he takes the rest of the wood and he builds a church right there in the center of the oak grove. And what he did was he challenged the idols of his day. He had a confrontation. He tore down the strongholds that had captivated their minds. He said, there is one true God. His name is Jesus Christ. You should worship him. And then he put their gods to the test. So the question is, what is our axe? How do we chop down idols? Our axe is God's word. And the way we chop down idols is by speaking the truth without fear. When we stand and challenge the idols of our day. When we speak the truth and we do what is right before the Lord, even if we're persecuted, this is how we cut the idols down in our culture. We go out into the culture and we tell people about Jesus Christ. We tell them the gospel. We tell them about sin and Satan and hell and judgment. We tell them about the love and grace of God, his redemption. We tell them all of it without fear. Whatever topic it is, we speak about it biblically. And as we do this, the Holy Spirit works in their hearts. He tears down strongholds and he saves these people. And when we refuse to bow to idols, when we refuse to back down from injustice, when we choose to step forward and speak the truth while everybody else falls away in cowardice, we stand like light. We are salt. And people, they see this. They see our boldness and our courage. They see our faith in our God. And oftentimes, Those are the people that God uses to tear down idols. Those are the people that God uses to close the mouth of lions. Those are the people that God uses to bring out of fiery furnaces. Because he wants everyone to see that these things that people fear are not true gods. So, even if it costs you in your class, write the truth in your assignments. Even if it costs you a grade, speak the truth in your school. Even if it costs you in your job, do what is right and speak the truth. And don't participate in lies. In your social interactions, be respectful, be gentle, but speak the truth. 
This is the axe that we wield. This is the sword that we wield. This is how we chop down idols. This is how we practice the Benedict option, the Boniface option. And what we have to do is team up with other people to overcome injustice in our culture. This is how we tore down Roe v. Wade. There were millions of people who labored for decades to tear down that wicked ruling, human sacrifice in our society. Now, it's still going on in the states, but it was overturned at a federal level because we teamed up and we worked to overcome injustice. This is why Target and Bud Light is thinking twice about promoting selfie worship in their products because they lost a bunch of money because normal people and Christian people and all sorts of people, they don't want to worship selfie. They don't want to worship sexual perversion. And so those businesses lost a lot of money. This is good. This is how we go out on offense with the word of God. While we, while we simultaneously build strong communities, that's defense. Both the Benedict and Boniface options have to be practiced. And the question is, how do you sustain that? I mean, how do you make that go for you know, years and decades and generations? Well, I have some next steps for you. Number one, faithfully attend Sunday worship. Because you become like what you worship. If you come to worship each week with God's people to be refreshed and renewed in your faith, to sing with your full throat and have gratitude to God, to confess your sins, to serve in fellowship, to give your offerings, to hear God's word preached so that you can see like God sees and you can love what God loves and begin to do what God commands, your life will be transformed. It is the most important spiritual discipline you practice. You go to worship on Sunday, you get renewed and strengthened and sent out during the week to build the kingdom. Number two, make family bonds stronger. The stronger your family, whether it's your natural family or your spiritual family, the stronger the bonds of love and loyalty and fellowship between the members of the family, the harder it is to push you around, the harder it is to pull you apart. We take care of each other. We read the Bible together. We discuss it. We break bread and eat together. We love and serve each other. And when we do this, it drives selfishness from our hearts making us less and less likely to worship selfie, and it gives us courage to stand against the threats and the bribes of the state. Number three, read, memorize, and sing the Psalms. We have a lot of enemies today. How do we think about that? We have a lot of pain and frustration. We feel a lot of injustice. We see a lot of evil. What do we do? How do we think about it? How do we feel about it? How do we process those things? Well, the psalmist had a lot of enemies. The psalmist was persecuted. The psalmist felt fear and injustice and frustration. The psalmist cried out to God. And the psalms will teach you how to work through those emotions and experiences. The psalmist will teach you how to name and see and respond to your circumstances. The psalms are uniquely designed for a people facing a situation like we're facing today. And then number four, read books that help you understand what time it is. What I mean by that is we live in a crazy world, but part of the challenge is we're not thinking like Christians. And so we have to learn to think like Christians. One of the books that I use for this sermon series uh, is a book called How Christianity Changed the World. And I encourage you to read that book. It is the best summary of how Christ changed uh, culture. All the things we went over today that I've ever read. You can get it on Kindle. You can get it on Audible. It is a fantastic book. And it will help you to understand your Christian heritage. I want to encourage you to study doctrine. And learn to think biblically, to commit yourself to what God's word says about every topic. And so I'd encourage you to read and work through the workbook, Decide for Yourself. 
It gives you scriptures and a question and allows you to read the scriptures and then write your summary. And this is something I've done, my wife has done, our sons are doing it right now, and it will help you have strong doctrinal commitments because there's heresy, false teaching floating through the church right now, all over the country. And you want to be biting down on the truth and holding it fast so that you can live it, so that you can pass it on to your kids, so that you can be unmoved when the winds come. I'd also encourage you to take the course, The Problem with Christianity. That's another way for you to um, you know, grow in your understanding of what time it is. This is a free online course offered at Church in the Valley. Uh, you can get, on, get it on our uh, Church in the Valley app. Just click on the events and you can sign up for the course. You go at your own pace. We're going to be starting next week. And it will help train you to think and live in line with a lot of what we talked about in this series. So I want to encourage you to look at the syllabus, look at what the course is offering, and consider taking that course over the next several weeks. And finally, we have to speak the truth clearly, respectfully, but boldly. That is our acts. We are the salt and we are the light of the world. And as we live and speak the truth, the kingdom advances. The darkness is banished. The chaos is conquered. How do we do this? How do we do it all? We don't do it with weapons of swords and force and manipulation, but the weapons of our warfare are mighty before God for the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We worship Jesus in every area of life. We advance with the gospel. We take back territory inch by inch, person by person, family by family, church by church, community by community, until the whole world has been reclaimed. To do this, we plant churches in cities that have lost people, We start Bible studies at our jobs where there aren't many Christians. We go on college campuses and we herald the truth of Christ. We go to abortion clinics and we plead for life. We have lots of children and we raise them up to be fiercely Christian. We adopt children like I was adopted and show them God's redemption like my parents did for me. We identify the brokenness and the sin in a world that is plagued with it. And we get to work to reclaim, redeem, and renew it all. The purpose of the church on earth is to build his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. When we have no other gods before Christ, the darkness flees by the power of the gospel. Chaos is chased away. Families thrive. And children grow up knowing and loving Christ. When we worship Christ and no other gods, lost people are found. Churches are planted. Christian businesses are started. Abortion is abolished. Culture is redeemed. Godless politicians lose their job. Missionaries get sent to the most remote regions of the world. And the world gets to see the kingdom advance. Jesus Christ makes us fruitful. He's the one who grows the good things in our culture. He's the one who can put to death the chaos. He is the one who can save us. He will grow fruitful politics and economics, fruitful science and art, fruitful households and churches, and fruitful communities and nations. Jesus Christ did it before. This isn't theory. This is history. This is your history. This is your heritage. Christ is king, and no one can stop him. 
But if we forsake him and turn after other gods, we in our generation will lose out, miss out, miss out on what God wants to do. But if we will commit in our lives to be faithful in obedience to him, teaching our children, faithful in our churches, evangelizing our community, and churches around the world are doing this, the kingdom will grow and the fruit will grow again. He did it before and he will do it again if we have no other gods before him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for all the heritage that you've given us, for the blessing that you grew in the world through faith in Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would do it again, that you would show us how we can build a strong church and reach out to smash idols and rescue those who are captive to false gods in our culture. Please bring salvation to Ontario Ranch and to our neighbors and our families. Please use us to save people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please transform our nation and turn us back from our sin. Please grant us repentance and pour out revival in our nation. God, make us ready to cooperate with you in the next great chapter of the growth of the kingdom of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.